The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to wish members of our armed forces who are far away from home and joining us on the internet today a safe and happy holiday season. And also thank listeners from coast to coast in all 50 states for your cards and emails and letters, and most of all, for making us part of your Newsweek. You inspire us to be the voice of reason in a sea of agendized media, a media that is biased, polarizing, and too often inaccurate. And today, we have yet another example of a story which should uh, be headlines across every newspaper and news website in the world and instead has been relegated to page six and a few book reviews. In just a moment, Andrew Feinstein will be joining us to talk about illicit arms trading and just how profitable secret arms deals have become from bribery to backroom deals between BAE and the Saudi government to arms dealers supplying Liberia uh, arms for diamond and timber concessions. Andrew Feinstein connects all the dots in a methodical and extremely well-researched way. So, Tighten up those seat belts and maybe even consider putting that shoulder harness on because we're in for an earful during this next hour. But before Feinstein joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Andrew Joseph Feinstein was born in Cape Town, South Africa. He is an alumnus of King's College, Cambridge, the University of California, and the University of Cape Town. Feinstein served as a member of parliament in the African National Congress for over seven years in varying roles, including economic advisor to the provincial finance and economic affairs minister and provincial premier, as well as deputy chairperson of South Africa's Audit Commission. He stepped down from his government role in 2001 because the African National Congress refused to allow an independent investigation into a multi-billion dollar arms deal, which was tainted by high levels of government corruption. Shortly thereafter, Feinstein released his first book on the cover-up at the ANC titled After the Party. The book marked the beginning of Feinstein's probe into the world of arms trading. In 2011, his book, The Shadow World, was published, a book which chronicles secret and corrupt arms dealings and the middlemen who make billions selling weapons to anyone who can pay. There are very few individuals who have more knowledge of how and why arms get into the wrong hands and how governments look the other way than Andrew Feinstein. And today we have the privilege to speak to him all the way from London. So let's see if our producers have successfully tracked him down and our engineers have got a clear connection. Mr. Feinstein, can you hear us? I certainly can. Can you hear me? Yes, terrific. Yes, the modern world of technology. (laughs) (laughs) How about that? Now, most of us are not familiar with legal or illegal arms trading. And after reading your book twice, once when it first came out and then again more recently, I admit I'm a little confused about the difference. So if you don't mind, let's start there. What percentage of the world's arms trade would you say is legal and transparent to the public? Zero percent. I think the main purpose of of the work that I do 
is to show that this distinction that our governments and our defense contractors would attempt to spin, that there is this so-called legal, formal, government-to-government trade in weapons, and then there's this other black market in weapons that is all illegal. It's a complete misconception, because the reality is that even those deals that are government-to-government arms deals, all deals between companies and government, sometimes their own government, are all blighted by corruption. The trade in weapons, which in numerical terms isn't that big a business, accounts for 40% of all corruption in all world trade. But the other point that is really important to make clear is that the people who are involved in the so-called black arms deal, in the so-called illicit arms trading, are many of exactly the same people who are engaged as intermediaries or middlemen in those vast government-to-government contracts. And that's why I argue in the 16 years that I've been investigating arms deals, I obviously haven't investigated every single one of them, but of the ones that I have investigated, I have never found an arms deal that didn't contain some element of illegality. Now, that is an astonishing statement to make. First of all, the same cast of characters, whether it's defense contractors, the middlemen who make billions of dollars on these transactions, or the government officials who approve the transactions uh, and allow them to be legal, this same cast of characters you're saying is involved whether the arms transactions are legal or illegal. Is that right? Absolutely. So the most corrupt arms transaction of all time was an arms deal between the United Kingdom and Saudi Arabia. Six billion British pounds, billion with a B, of so-called commissions were paid on that transaction. Now, some of those commissions would have been for legitimate services, but the vast, vast majority of them would have been what the industry refers to as unauthorized commissions, what you and I and most people understand as bribes. The people who were responsible for the bribes, the intermediaries, were not some low-lying arms dealers. They included a very senior minister in the Lebanese government. They included one of the richest men in the United Kingdom, who was incredibly close to the then British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, whose son, Mark Thatcher, was paid 12 million pounds in relation to that deal. So this notion that our governments and the big defense companies somehow operate in the good terrain, do the right thing, won't engage in corruption, and that there are these other low lives who are the ones who are really corrupt, unfortunately, is a misnomer. They're all playing in the same pond, if you will. And, you know, as you would have discovered when reading the book, one of the arms dealers who I interviewed, who had never been interviewed before in over 50 years in the trade, who was involved in some of the most horrific arms deals of our time, into the Balkans conflict and various others. The same man worked for the U.S. Department of Defense in getting weaponry and equipment into and out of Iraq and Afghanistan. He worked for USAID in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and other parts of Africa. So this distinction between the legal and the illegal is a completely fuzzy one. And it's complicated by the fact that a lot of these people who operate as the intermediaries to ensure that the bribes can be paid, usually through the creation of huge, opaque, offshore money laundering structures. These same people engage 
in what are supposed to be the legal deals. Now, we've got to stop and take our first break, and so let's take a breath here because this is a lot to swallow. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, Prince Bandar, who some of that money for the uh, oil for uh, arms deal uh, wound up filtering to and got to the 9-11 terrorists. So we'll be back in one moment with our guest today, Andrew Feinstein. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your Brute Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best U.S sparkling wine award we fared really well overall we had three wines win best of class which was great visit the caraccioli tasting room on dolores street in carmel by the sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722 hi there i'm bob eubanks you know as part of hollywood for a long time i've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the irs well there's one name i trust the tax defense group They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. you got to love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them. Find out for yourself. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either. Call now for your free and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax. Call 800-261-8109. 800-261-8109. Remember Kay's commentaries? Most people thought they were great, but a few weirdos thought they were hateful. Anyhow, this year I'm reminding you early that if you want to really impress people on your holiday gift list, give Kay's book of her greatest commentaries. For KSCO, I'm Kay's Whirling. I challenge you to come up with a better gift for a thinking, non-weirdo person. We have so many cases of Kay's book on hand that we need to reclaim some of the precious space at the station, and we want you to be the beneficiary. The deal is now incredible. $10 per book instead of the $24.95 original price. But it gets better. Buy a case of 28 of Kay's books to use as gifts for about $3.50 per book. Way less than our cost. $99 per case of 28. That's less than $3.55 per book. It's available by emailing me, mz at ksco.com, or just come by the station anytime to buy Kay's book in any quantity. Here's Rick and Rosie discussing their private proclivities on the air. I'm looking at a picture of him and he has got either false eyelashes that are very, very fine or he has amazing upper and lower lashes that look positively gorgeous. And he's a guy. He's 17. It's not wrong. I'm just saying that as a straight guy, and I think I'm overwhelming majority of straight dudes who won't. Would you for Halloween? Depends on what I'm going as. If I'm a vampire, yeah, I'll cover myself in in white, but I would never go... No, I'm not talking about covering yourself in white. I'm just talking about just having... What would my costume be? I don't know. You could wear a dress. (laughs) So you you want me just to go as a woman? I could see you in a dress. Oh, my goodness. Well, the only time I've dressed up like a woman is when you and I swap clothes for whatever reason. I don't understand why. (laughs) Don't miss Good Morning Monterey Bay weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the author of the book, The Shadow World, and one of the most knowledgeable experts on the secret world of global arms trading, Mr. Andrew Feinstein. And before the break, you were making the point that this distinction between legal and illegal arms trade is inaccurate because there is, in fact, no distinction, as is evidenced by the bribes paid to people such as Margaret Thatcher's own son for alleged services rendered. And I, and I want to point out that some of the six billion pounds in bribes that were paid uh, for the oil for arms deal uh, made their way to Prince Badar and the terrorists that were, in fact, responsible for 9-11. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the extraordinary story, and we show it quite graphically in in the film of the book that has recently been released. The film is just called Shadow World. And in the film, the character of Prince Bandar bin Sultan, who at the time of that deal between Saudi Arabia and the United Kingdom, his father, Prince Sultan, was the Saudi defense minister. He at the time, Prince Bandar, was the Saudi ambassador to the United States of America. And just over a billion pounds in bribes were paid to Prince Panda into his accounts at Riggs Bank, which then still existed, at the branch diagonally opposite the White House on Pennsylvania Avenue. And it is claimed inadvertently, some of the money from that account made its way to the account of his wife, and from the account of his wife, into the accounts of two of the 9-11 hijackers. And I suppose that that particularly speaks to the somewhat ambiguous relationship between the United States of America on the one hand, Saudi Arabia on the other hand, and then between the Saudi royal family and various militants. So there is a lot of speculation, there are a lot of claims, a lot of allegations that the Saudi royal family while being close allies of the United States and other Western governments, also provide funding and support to various militant Islamic groups. And I suppose a lot of those allegations started with these revelations about Prince Bandar and the flows of money through his accounts. So this would be an example of when some aspect of the global arms trade actually seems to be undermining the very security that it is supposed to be bolstering. But the sort of excess in the money that is used in these transactions is shown by the scale of these sums. As I said, we're talking six billion pounds. And this is not my figure. This is a figure developed by the Metropolitan Police in the United Kingdom. And in addition to the almost one billion that Prince Bandar received, BAE, the British company responsible for that deal, also gave him as a birthday gift an Airbus jet for his own personal use, painted in the colors of his favorite American football team, the Dallas Cowboys. So on the one hand, you have these ridiculous sums of money and generosity. On the other hand, you have some of the money landing up in the accounts of two of the 9-11 hijackers. Now, the sums that you quote in your book are mind-boggling. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. How big is the arms trade, global arms trade, in terms of dollars? Well, it varies from year to year, depending on the amount of, of deals that are made. But in any average year, there will be, in terms of, and this is just conventional weapons, um, it will range between about $60 billion um, upwards of $120, $125 billion, depending on the sorts of activities in any given year. So now, surprisingly, the, the middlemen who arrange these yeah. sales are known. You talk about Leonid Minin. Uh, supplying weapons to Liberia for diamond and timber concessions and other dealers like Adnan Khashoggi, Yoshio Kodama, and Victor Bout. How did you find them? Well, these guys, the, the, the people that you mentioned, the arms dealers that you mentioned have become quite notorious. They are people who wanted 
a sort of larger-than-life imprint on the world. So in the case of someone like Adnan Khashoggi during the 1980s, and he was involved in that Saudi-UK deal that I told you about, he actually once employed a PR company in the United Kingdom, and the brief to them was to make the world believe that he was the world's richest man, even though he wasn't. So these are people who want publicity, who have a flair for publicity, who have huge egos. The more difficult arms dealers to to actually get any sense of are those who don't want to talk. And I would say that since I've been doing this work, probably about 95% of those people I want to talk to have no interest whatsoever in talking to me. And it's a very small minority of them who ever do. And the reason that those will talk to me would vary depending on their circumstances at the time. So one arms dealer who I spoke to um, who had never been interviewed before and was already in his late 70s, my instinct is that he spoke to me because he was thinking about his own mortality, he was thinking about his own legacy, and he believed he'd done great good in the world. But for the vast majority who are currently active and intend to be active hopefully for decades to come, they think, they are not interested in speaking to people like me except off the record. But the real villains in your research appear to be the companies that make the weapon systems themselves, companies like BAE Systems, Lockheed Martin, Halliburton, and others who are defense contractors working for the government. Can you speak to the conflict of interest they face as a for-profit company working in defense? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think, so. as you say, most of these companies are private companies. They have shareholders, um, but the reality is that their relationship with the government is a very unique one. So they have access to uh, ministries of defense, the Pentagon, in the case of, of the United States. They have access to very senior military leaders. They have access to very senior politicians, and they tend to be closely involved with key political parties in their countries. And that unfortunately brings about a whole lot of conflicts. And those conflicts are exacerbated by the fact that what happens in the global arms trade happens behind a veil of national security imposed secrecy. So as a consequence of that, politicians, officials, military leaders, and these executives are prepared to engage in activities that they would not get away with in any other sector. Because the reality is that the arms industry operates in something of a legal parallel universe. So to give you just one example of the sort of impunity with which these people operate, we recorded at the time that the book was first published in 2011 that there had been 502 violations of UN arms embargoes. So countries, companies, or individuals selling into conflicts where the UN had said there will be no arms sales there. Of those 502 violations, only two had ever resulted in any form of legal action, and only one resulted in a prosecution. Now, we're going to have to take a break right there, but stay tuned. We'll be back to hear the rest of the story. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes from salads to desserts, and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry-cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Put a little light in your home and make your family happy. Hi, I'm George Staggy from the Santa Cruz Lions, inviting you to come to the Santa Cruz Lions Tree Lot 
Evergreen Street at the Portuguese Hall parking lot near Costco and pick up your Christmas tree that is guaranteed to light up your family's holiday season. All proceeds benefit hearing, visual, and youth. That's Lions Christmas Trees, Evergreen Street near Costco. Thanks for your support. Is your internet connection slow? Etheric Networks can help you. Etheric Networks is the Bay Area's locally owned alternative to DSL satellite and cable. We do a few things to make our service better. We have a great reputation and our staff is committed to providing a great user experience. We listen to our customers and listen to our staff. We pay living wages. Our staff are local Bay Area engineers and professionals. We provide flexibility and personalized service. Being in Silicon Valley, we have direct contact with the networking software and hardware companies and can bring new technologies to market before the cable and phone companies. We operate a tower-based fixed wireless network as well as a fiber-optic backbone network that rings the bay. The combination creates an ultra-reliable high-capacity network that you ought to try. KSCO Business Special. Business service up to 10 megabits per second symmetric for as little as $299 a month with a $399 installation fee. Etheric Networks. Call 650-399-4200. Etheric.net. Hi, it's Charlie from The Gardening Company, your locally owned garden center. Everyone thinks about gardening in the spring, but fall is really the best time for planting. The selection of flowering perennials, shrubs, and vines is far better in the fall. The soil is much warmer after summer, encouraging faster root development. The shorter days reduce plant stress, and winter rains will help provide precious moisture. These are perfect conditions for planting winter-blooming annuals, spring-blooming bulbs, ground cover, hedges, natives, drought-tolerant shrubs, perennials, vines, or trees. We have so many beautiful choices from dry climates around the world with a great selection of succulents. And we can show you the best organic seeds and seedlings for an extended harvest from your fall and winter vegetable garden. Visit the Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop, 2218 Mission Street, across from Safeway on the west side of Santa Cruz. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegardenco. The Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop, proud member of Think Local First. Every Saturday afternoon at 3, Nurse Jackie Tucker hosts Stepping In Radio, focused on health, wellness, and care for seniors and those battling chronic pain and other illnesses. Your questions and comments invited regardless of social standing, economic status, or age. That's Stepping In. What resources are available for these special populations and those who care for them? Join Nurse Jackie Tucker to explore these questions and more on Stepping In, this Saturday at 3 on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Andrew Feinstein. And before the break, Mr. Feinstein, you were making the point that defense contractors have virtual uh, and, and immunity when it comes to obeying the law. And you were describing some of the known violations that have been committed and the fact that almost none have been held accountable or prosecuted. So let me ask you this question. Uh, how do these defense contractor contracting companies that are generally public companies, how do they answer to two masters? How do they, uh, you know, I don't fulfill their fiduciary responsibilities to give the best return on investment possible to their shareholders while at the same time uh, doing what is in the interest, the best interest of national security? I, I see a huge conflict of interest there. Absolutely. I think you're entirely right. I think the difficulty is that they can't even report accurately and honestly to their shareholders because a lot of what they do is quite correctly covered by national security secrecy. So there are certain things that a defense contractor is engaged in that they and our governments and our armed forces don't want to be in the public domain, and that is entirely legitimate. The problem is that that is contrary to the nature of the relationship between a shareholder and the company. On the other hand, as you say, there is this relationship with government, and that relationship all takes place in secret. Now, I've been in the situation with BAE Systems, the British company that for many years was, in my estimation, probably the most corrupt company on the planet. And 
I was bought one share in the company and I would go along to the shareholder meetings and the chairman of the company would say certain things to the shareholders and I would have documentary evidence that he was in fact misleading his shareholders. And I would then raise that at the meeting and the reality is that I would get shouted down and the chairman would tell me to keep quiet and the meeting would continue. So the companies do not want to delve into the nature of how they do these deals, what sort of contributions they make politically, and the extent to which they use intermediaries for the payment of bribes. And I want to just add one thing here. This whole relationship is made more complex by the fact that these bribes are not just a consequence of there being a few rotten apples involved in arms deals. Bribery and corruption in the global arms trade is built into the very DNA of the trade. It's built into the very structure of the trade. Arms deals don't happen without corruption, very sadly. So, again, it comes back to this conflict. And I think that, unfortunately, these defense companies should not be able to operate as other conventional public-listed companies because they are unable to conform to the reporting requirements that are required of these public companies. But the way in which they justify this difference is by saying these are matters of national security. It's also interesting to note that many, many years ago, after the Second World War, sorry, after the First World War, when there were a number of commissions of inquiry set up in the United States and the United Kingdom around what was described as war profiteering, companies making huge amounts of profits out of war, it was stated very strongly by Woodrow Wilson that the manufacture of weaponry should not be a for-profit enterprise. This is something that should take place under the authority and control of governments. And I think because of the conflict of interest that you speak to, that is probably still a valid point of view. If they simply made it uh, a law that a defense contractor could not be a for-profit public company but must operate as a non-profit company, wouldn't that solve that problem? Absolutely it would. And we would then find, rather than the situation we have today, where the defense contractors around the world are committed to selling equipment that unfortunately our militaries often don't need or are often inappropriate for the purposes that they are supposedly manufactured for. Instead, we would have a not-for-profit business that would be of a limited size. We would not see the proliferation of unnecessary weaponry as we see in the world today, where we have a completely out-of-control armed sector, where we have the United States of America producing the F-35 jet fighter, which is going to cost the American taxpayer $1.5 trillion. But, according to certain people in the defense intelligence world, is as little as any utility to the United States in any current conflict it's engaged in or any conflict it's likely to be engaged in for generations to come. So we would have decisions made upon the basis of a real need rather than the need for a company to increase its profitability on a quarterly basis. So that would be a far more sensible way to go. Yes, and it's certainly something that Congress can uh, do. Uh, They can decide that defense contractors should not be for-profit enterprises and and end at least that aspect of corruption. I like to, on this program, talk about things we can do, solutions that we can execute, and this is certainly one of them. Now, setting aside the morality issue for just a moment, by looking the other way, governments find themselves fighting against enemies who are armed with weaponry that companies in the U.S. have made and sold. As an example, the uh, Egyptian government forces who tried to put down the Arab Spring protests were wearing U.S.-made body armor, carrying U.S.-made tear gas guns and other weapons. And the U.S. military has encountered the same irony in other areas of the Middle East where we're fighting against our own weapons. Can you speak about that danger for a moment? Absolutely. What you're talking about in the industry is described as blowback, the unintended consequences of certain either foreign policies or sales of weaponry 
to governments. And we have this problem on an ongoing basis. So we've seen not only in Egypt, we saw in Libya when the NATO forces were having to take out Muammar Gaddafi's defenses. Most of the equipment they were having to destroy was equipment that the NATO companies themselves had sold to Muammar Gaddafi. Perhaps an even bigger example would be the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, which when fighting the Soviet Union, were funded and provided with weapons by the United States of America to the tune of tens of billions of dollars. And it was the Mujahideen from Afghanistan who transformed themselves into the Taliban and into Al-Qaeda. And we're still seeing it in the Middle East today, where on the one hand, in one of the conflicts in Syria, we see some of the formations, such as, for instance, al-Nusra, are being weaponized and supported by the United States of America, where in another conflict in the region in Yemen, basically the same entity is being fought against by the United States and its allies. So we have this complete insanity, and it's an insanity both of foreign policy and it's an insanity of the ease with which we distribute weaponry around the world, that the very people who in one instance might be our friends, but in another instance are our enemies, land up turning our own weapons against ourselves. And it's in this way that I argue that the global trade in arms as it currently functions is actually undermining our security rather than bolstering it. And you also argue that the for-profit motive leads to prolonged conflict. There is absolutely no doubt that it does. And this has been the case historically. You know, during the First World War, the British Prime Minister Lloyd George had, ironically, as one of his peace envoys, perhaps the leading arms agent and arms dealer of his time, a gentleman by the name of Basil Zaharov. And Zaharov would go as Lloyd George's representative to various peace meetings. And what he would do in those meetings is try and ensure that the war continued for as long as possible. And unfortunately, we have the real-time versions of those today as well, in which these companies produce, if you will, with the help of the entertainment industry and others, a matrix of fear, a phalanx of fear, so that all we hear about is the threats facing us. And remarkably, whatever the threats are, whatever the products are that the company wants to be building, are exactly exactly the products that are needed to repel the threat that they have identified. Well, there you go. There's reverse engineering for you. We have to take our last break. We'll be right back with Andrew Feinstein. You're listening to the Costa Report. Are you struggling with addiction or alcohol problems? If you're depressed, drinking, and using drugs, you may need help. And the Affordable Care Act guarantees coverage of substance abuse. I knew I could get myself out of this. I just needed some hope and some help. I took the first step to recovery when I made the call. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. I feel like I'm losing control. I'm afraid I'll lose my job or even my family. Call now for hope and help with proven gentle recovery programs. I never thought that I could be somebody who didn't drink and use drugs. I'm in recovery, getting the help I need. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969 The holiday season is just around the corner and I want to share one of my favorite tips for being able to avoid that last minute dash to buy something that screams I didn't put much thought into this. Now imagine a different scenario this year. Imagine the surprise on your loved one's face when they open the first page of the Watchman's Rattle and see a custom dedication in their name by the author. The best part is it's so easy. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com, do it right now, and click on the book cover and presto. In less than three minutes, you can request the inscription you want. So do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com, and this year, give an affordable, thoughtful gift that says, this is for you and only you. That's RebeccaCosta.com.
People do not like going to the dentist unless they're going to this dentist. Hello folks, Michael Olson here with Dr. Guy Peabody. Dr. Guy, whenever I go by your office, I see people with big smiles on their face. What's the secret? I'm glad you're seeing everybody smiling. You know, we like to make people smile on the inside as well as on the outside. What do you mean by smiling on the inside, doctor? Well, we just treat people the way we want to be treated. We befriend our patients. Uh, They're not really our patients, they're more our family. We have a good time. We want to provide, obviously, an excellent quality service and stability in our care. But, you know, I'll be working throughout the day and I'll hear laughter down the hallway between my hygienist and her patients and the front desk. I'll have people chuckling and people are a little reluctant to kind of head out the door. They're having a really good time. Call Dr. Guy Peabody for our consultation today and wake up to a great smile tomorrow, 831-457-0343 or visit drpeabody.com. Cash flows and money moves. The Money Moves Show is dedicated to delivering tips and tools to help you earn more, save more, and protect your hard-earned assets. Host Pamela Fugit Hetrick interacts with her guests and callers every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Recent topics have included what is going on locally with health insurance, tips to maximize your Social Security income, how do you build an emergency fund for your family, Medicare 101 tips, how do you choose and pay for home health care, and many other topics. So tune in, take notes, call and get answers to your financial questions from Pamela Fugit-Hedrick on Money Moves, Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's Money Moves, Thursdays, 7 p.m. on KSCO, AM 1080 Santa Cruz and KOMY 1340 Watsonville and 104.1 on your FM dial. Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is Andrew Feinstein, author of The Shadow World, which, if you have not read it, is the most thorough forensic accounts of corruption and illicit arms deals made by some of the largest corporations and governments in the world. Uh, if you haven't picked it up, it's available all over the internet. Uh, please, if you really want to understand how these arms exchange hands, and the danger to national security. Pick this book up, The Shadow World. Now let's switch gears for just a moment. Recently, Europe was shocked to learn that Americans had elected businessman Donald Trump as their next president on promises that he would, quote, drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. Do you think he can be successful at reining in defense contractors and tamping down the uh, arms corruption that we've been talking about? I'm afraid not. Um, I'm, I'm no student of Donald Trump's career, but from what I've read in the media during the presidential campaign, um, some of his own business practices um, are not entirely above board, in my opinion. And therefore, for him to want to intervene as president in an industry in which business practices are questionable at best, I think is going to be highly unlikely. I also think that because of his inexperience in foreign policy and the first few people that he has appointed in key defense positions, we are going to see, if anything, an increase in huge weapons projects um, that produced vast amounts of weaponry, the utility of which is questionable, but the economic benefits of which to the manufacturers themselves, to the politicians and to the intermediaries are going to be vast. So I think under a Trump presidency, we're likely to see at best business as usual. At worst, we're actually going to see the swamp get bigger. Well, hypothetically, if President Trump were to ask you what steps should be taken to stop the insanity of how arms are presently sold, where would you advise him to start? There would be two obvious places to start, and neither of which are difficult. The first would be to suggest, given the nature of the defense business and its importance in our public life, the importance of public safety and security, that defense companies should not be in a position to make any political contributions to politicians seeking office at all, should not be able to 
conduct what is described as the revolving door, the movement of people between these companies, the government, the Pentagon. Stop the movement of those people. So in other words, simply clean up the business. Simply ensure that the decisions that are made in the business are made for the right reasons, not for reasons of political patronage or people in the Pentagon giving contracts to companies where they're then going to go and work when they retire and be given exorbitant salaries far in excess of what they do, which are effectively paybacks for the contracts they gave those companies when they were at the Pentagon. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would simply be to make illegal the use of any intermediaries in defense deals. So in other words, take out the middlemen who are responsible for the extreme amount of corruption that exists in the trade. Because without them, the payment of bribes becomes so much more difficult to do. And we would effectively be able to drain the swamp of not everything, but an enormous amount of the malfeasance that exists in it, simply by taking those two steps. Now, in your view, is there a role for organizations like NATO or the United Nations to play in stopping these arms sales? And if so, what, what would that role be? Well, the, in an ideal world, there certainly would be a role. So, for instance, the United Nations in 2014 passed an international arms trade treaty. But unfortunately... The treaty, which is fairly weak and doesn't have enforcement mechanisms, has just been ignored by the people who championed it, including the governments of the United States, the United Kingdom, and many of the Western governments. So it would have been illegal for those countries to currently be selling weapons to Saudi Arabia while Saudi Arabia is bombing innocent civilians in Yemen, 4,000 of whom, innocent civilians, have been killed since March of 2015. And in that time, the United Kingdom has been selling Saudi Arabia around 9 million pounds of weapons every day in violation of that arms trade treaty. So unfortunately, the UN has shown itself to be somewhat toothless on this particular issue. NATO, unfortunately, too, because it has a very important role in maintaining peace and in building peace, its relationship with Russia in particular has become so antagonistic that um, it seems currently, rather than to be promoting peace, it seems to be stoking conflict and certainly tensions. And I think that while both these organizations, when they were founded, their ideas and their intentions were certainly the pursuance of peace, and ensuring that war profiteering does not continue. Unfortunately, the way in which they function today, they're performing exactly the opposite of those functions. What's the penalty for violating the UN Arms Treaty? There is none. So it's simply a matter of whether individual governments want to take any notice of it at all. But I think it goes even further than that. I think we've seen at least two countries who once the International Arms Trade Treaty was passed at the UN actually decided that their own arms export controls were tougher than those contained in the treaty. So they weakened their own arms export controls to conform to the treaty. In addition to which, unfortunately, even where there are national laws that exist about certain types of arms deals that you can and can't do, it is extremely easy for governments, including in the United States of America and the United Kingdom, to simply bypass that legislation by invoking the needs of national security. So there is also some sort of a need in democratic countries for there to be a body that assesses whether government is correctly using the secrecy surrounding national security and defense to defend the country's interests, or whether it is using that sort of secrecy in order to conduct what are, in effect, illegal activities, be they illegal acts of foreign policy or warfare, or be they the illegal acts of corruption in which the arms trade is so mired. Well, you and I are on the same page, sir, because uh, this this big loophole of it's in the interest of national security has even allowed uh, the, the government to uh, perform surveillance on U.S. citizens without any kinds of, uh, you know, permissions. 
and uh, it's just led to a whole uh, whole category of violations. Uh, I I guess I'm not surprised to hear that the United Nations Arms Treaty doesn't have any uh, penalty for violating, and many people feel that many governments feel it's weaker than the 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 uh, checks and balances that they already have in place. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time. Before we do run out of time, do you have a website where listeners today can go to learn more about your research into the global arms trade? Absolutely. So um, the film of, of the book, um, just called The Shadow World, is available to download on Vimeo. There is a website called shadowworld.com. And then the book and all of my work relating to the book is contained on a website called shadowworldbook.com. And that is all the time that we have. But before we say goodbye, I'd like to take this opportunity to Thank you, Mr. Feinstein, for bringing this important story to light. Again, the name of the book is The Shadow World, and our guest today, Andrew Feinstein. Thank you, Mr. Feinstein. Thank you so much for your time. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Andrew Feinstein, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if you missed the full interview with Feinstein or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from Apple iTunes, Podbean, our YouTube channel, and also our website at RebeccaCosta.com. Easy to remember, it's MyName.com. My guest next week is popular astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, Neil deGrasse Tyson will be in the house. He will be here to dispel many of the myths we continue to perpetuate about the universe and explain why space exploration is vital to the United States, including why the mission to Mars matters. Don't miss the always provocative Neil deGrasse Tyson next week, right here on the only program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management